This week's episode made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com. Good morning, Memphis. This is the first episode of Meanwhile in Memphis in the new year. I am very excited and I'm even more excited because who is sitting next to me right now? Introduce yourself. Drum roll, please. That's a terrible drum. I'm not like, uh, I'd, anyway, introduce yourself to the people. It is Anna Thompson, otherwise known as AT. Woo! See, I can do that so much better than a drum roll. <laughs> Guys, we're super happy to be back in the studio with you. Uh, this show is just so much fun for us to do. We get connected to such amazing people, and today is no different. It is. We're kicking off with a TED episode. It's AT. it's so exciting. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited for the new year, 2022, yeah. hopefully a fresh start in so many different ways. And I feel like what better way to welcome a new year than with an episode and a TED Talk. Today's guest is just, guys. Truly unique. Yes. Jacques Osmo, who is a music director, conductor, lieutenant, and a scholar in historical performance based in London and here in our lovely city of Memphis. He is the founder and director of the British Period Instrument Ensemble, La Aventura London. And if that is not enough to pique your interest, like interest, he is going to actually be joining us today. As I said, it's a TED episode day. So he is going to be here today to talk about his 2019 TEDx Memphis talk, Why Refugees Are Integral to the Future of Art. I am super pumped about this one. It's going to be really good. In, in my research, um, for those avid listeners yeah. who know, <laughs> I do schedule our wonderful guests yes. when I am not hosting with Christy. And I was really excited about this one, so I'm super hopeful that it pans out to be exactly what I know it can be because he's truly so great. He he offers so much to our city, and I'm so excited for him to share his story. Guys, we're going to get into how the arts and music define the human experience and talk even more. Let's just get into it. I don't want to keep the people waiting. Let's go. Welcome, Jacques, to the podcast. Oh, it's a great pleasure to be here. We're so happy to have you. We're kicking off the new year. You know, that's a lot of pressure. How you feel being our first episode? Well, it, it's a, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love that you're accepting this responsibility greatly. Oh, yes, of course. Of we course. couldn't think of a better guest to start off with for a TED episode in the new year because that's what we call our special TED episodes, by the way. They're TED episodes, just in case. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, okay. it's hard to roll off the tongue, but I'm, I'm here for it. I'm going to make it happen. It's a word. I'm making it happen. <laughs> um, so we're very thrilled to have you today. Uh, we know you have your very own talk show on WYXR. Yes, music and medicine. Yes. So, you know, if people haven't listened to it yet, talk a little bit about what you do on their on the platform. Since we're on their platform right now, thank you to our friends. What's your show all about? Uh, my show is about the healing powers of music. Oh. Uh, one of my long-term interests um, and uh, a considerable part of my work has been exploring of the elements uh, of healing. Uh within music and the clinical applications of music. Uh, Today, within modern medicine and over the past centuries as well. So, uh, the show focuses on this, um, and I have interviews with uh, international guests, physicians, neuroscientists, philosophers, researchers of different kinds. So just ex- casual people, right? Yeah, like, very casual people. That's impressive. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I just have to drop this. Um, so, yeah, we we examine uh, this field and this area from different perspectives. Yeah. That's so interesting to me. Um, we actually just did a luncheon um, event called Celebrate What's Right Youth in the Arts, and it was about a similar intersection about how music and wellness kind of interact. Oh, very good. So, yeah, so the the topic is is wonderful. It was at the end of last year, so that's so fun. Um, how do you like doing your podcast? Oh, I love it. Um, actually, I it's a new skill I picked up during the pandemic, <laughs> so I do the whole thing by myself. I record it and edit it. My, oh, look at you. My, my laptop and my microphone, and, and it's great. I do have quite a bit of experience from the past uh, with radio work mm-hmm. um, in the UK and BBC and such, but this was a unique opportunity to actually learn how to do all these things myself. <laughs> right, to be so. like a one-stop shop, where, no, where all amazing. the it's, hats. It's very empowering. I love it, and it's super intriguing because 
something that you do, like you said, you have international guests. We have all pretty much local guests. So like we haven't had to tap into like our Skype and anything like that here. So is that tricky technology wise? I thought it would be, but Zoom has become amazing. It's like revolutionizing it. <laughs> I love that. Like bringing the international like conversation here. That's. Yeah. yeah you know, it, I mean, it's very interesting. One of the, we have all been complaining since the start of the pandemic of having to use the technology, having to use Zoom, not being mm -hmm. able to see people in person. And yes, rightfully so. However, I think a lot of these things will be found extremely beneficial once the pandemic is over as well. Yes. I, there are many things um, as far as uh, which we just, I don't think we will go back. So the convenience of of these long distance interviews, right? It, it's, it's quite significant. Being able to take advantage of something that we maybe didn't take advantage of in the past. Oh, absolutely. You know, I was, for example, interviewed on, on, on a few occasions by um, radio stations in the UK. And before, for example, if I would have an interview at BBC Radio, like you literally have to, you go there and, mm -hmm. you know, it's a special trip. It's a big deal. You go into the studio and such. But now they have developed a special app that produces studio quality results and I can also see on their programming that they're really expanding in terms of guests. There are guests suddenly from all over the world, oh, meaning so that cool. geography is no obstacle anymore. Right. It's limitless. Absolutely. So open Ooh. up that accessibility, though, like to be able to have someone who maybe you wanted on a show and couldn't travel. Like you now have this limitless opportunity yeah. to y'all's point. Like that's amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. Still nothing, you know, nothing compares with to, meeting people face to face. Oh, yeah. And the human experience cannot be replicated. But oh, absolutely. It's a great medium, but we have gotten a little bit ahead of ourselves <laughs> because we were super excited to talk about your show, and we definitely wanted to like let the audience know if they're not listening, they need to tune in. We need to know a little bit more about you. Who are we talking to? Who is Jacques? Who is Jacques? Oh my goodness! <laughs> um, different people over, you know, many years. I love that answer. <laughs> no. Well, I am a music director, conductor, and a scholar. Um, I, <clears throat> for many years, I was based in London, England, um, and then due to professional per, uh, personal reasons, I changed my base to Memphis, which I love. And uh, in Memphis, one of the uh, focus of my career has be become music and medicine. Um, I've been developing a program that uh, applies music to the treatment of cancer and mm. other diseases. I'm currently on the faculty at both Rhodes College and University of Tennessee Health Science Center, Ooh. which my work within this field is is mostly based. So in short, for now, that's yeah. what it is. In <laughs> short, that's yeah. like hilarious yeah. after everything you just listened. I know, I love the duality of that yeah. and like the arts, like meeting with the science. Mm -hmm. Of all of that. Oh, it's quite amazing. As you know, music has been used in healing for thousands of years. Um, however, you know that the, the Age of Enlightenment in the 18th century came and suddenly scientific proof became the main thing that we have in order to use something. Right. So all of this knowledge has been placed on hold until the science, until science has reached a level where we can actually do clinical research and measure these things. And now that it is on that level, um, applications are limitless and we have literally only scratched the surface of it. Mm -hmm. Wow. I like have dug into, we had um, Elizabeth K. Wan on the podcast mm -hmm. uh, and I dug into it a little bit with her, but like you seem very well versed as well. I was reading some research about, you know, specifically Alzheimer's and how music has healing properties for those patients. And I was blown away by like the research that's out there about how music literally heals sickness literally heal sickness for example in alzheimer's one of my upcoming guests um i will not mention the name because that will this be this was surprised. an accidental segue guys ah, I didn't know yeah, this yeah. Was happening. accidental <laughs> accidental uh segue but um he is a professor emeritus from the university of toronto and they have been doing a lot of research there um in this field and uh i actually he also did a, a ted talk sometime well oh, in yeah. 2016 and that is how i found out about him and his work and one of the things that he mentioned in, in the TED talk is his research on using uh, the sound at the frequency of mm -hmm. uh, 40 hertz, where he, for example, in, in terms of Alzheimer's, um, they noticed that it's literally possible to reverse Alzheimer's. What? So 
a person that was diagnosed three years ago, and of course the disease has progressed, uh, once that person was exposed to this particular treatment, uh, within a few months, the, the symptoms were the same as they were when uh, the person was first diagnosed with this, meaning years ago. Mm, yeah. So literally, um, Can reverse time there was regeneration that. Yeah. of of. That part a number of, the, of things. Yeah. A number of things. So. Oh wow. I mean, it, it, it's truly amazing. I had, for example, another another guest to talk about uh, music, literally supporting neurogenesis, mm -hmm. meaning it supports creating of a brand new neurons. That's a fairly recent research that has. Wow. So many different applications. One of them is, for example, treatment of depression, um, within which, uh, for which we know now that depression actually is caused in great part by our neurons literally dying off. Um, okay. So if you have something that supports the, the creation of brand new neurons in that way, you're literally treating depression. Um, and I mean, as I said, we are only scratching the surface. Yeah. I really think this field is at the very beginning, uh, partly because the science simply was not on the level where we can do clinical research right. to show these things and benefits, which, you know, cultures across the world have gleaned and had idea of for thousands of years now. Right. Now we just have the, the hard data that, That's right. that we needed, we I guess. Data. In order for, for, for these methods to be actually adopted in, into the mainstream medicine. That's so cool. Um, so tell me a little bit about what your work at Rhodes looks like and about what your work at UT looks like and then how they kind of work together. Well, my first institutional affiliation here in Memphis was with Rhodes College. Um, an amazing institution with amazing, really kind people. Mm -hmm. I do have to say something about Rhodes, which actually is applicable to Memphis in general. Yeah. Um, you know, I moved here from London and I did not know what to expect. <laughs> but one of the things that I noticed before too long is that I have never been surrounded by so many people that I so genuinely like <laughs> uh, around me. So, That's amazing. Yeah. So that is a, a compliment, know, yeah. Well, it, it's a compliment, but also a place becomes what people are who live, live mm -hmm. in it. So people are great, and therefore Memphis is great. I love uh, that. But now just to continue about roads. So I started off by teaching. My wife is a – how we came to Memphis is that my wife was first offered a professorship. She's a musicologist, oh, cool. Vanessa Rogers. Um, <laughs> shout out. Pardon? Shout out. Yeah, shout out. Yeah. My wife. She deserves it. Um, and then, um, yes, and then I started teaching, um, started teaching as well. And I was at first teaching uh, classes in things that are directly related to my academic interests, uh, such as history of music and um, – and then create, I was asked if I would create a course on creative entrepreneurship uh, because I do have I do have some good experience. You're being uh, modest. No. Uh, well, uh, in sort of putting organizations together yeah. and, and running them and managing people and projects, but from the arts perspective. So um, – I put that course together, and then now I'm also teaching one of the sections of their music and healing course, which is directly related to my work in Memphis. Um, I've been teaching calls, uh, a, a course uh, called Search, Search for Values, mm. uh, which is basically great books course, a wonderful initiative they have at Rhodes as a liberal arts college. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, that's as far as my activities at Rhodes are concerned. At UT, actually, my work there is directly related to the wonderful TEDx event oh. that I was invited to in 2019. We love to hear it. Uh, yes, well, I give a talk about refugees and art, and that is where I met David Schwartz, a wonderful oncologist from yes. UTHSC, chair of radiation oncology, and we started talking. And he mentioned that he would be interested in including music in some way um, into his clinic that was at that time at Methodist University mm -hmm. Hospital. And since I have been developing this method uh, f for a while, 
that deals with use of clinical applications of music in treatment of you know different different mm -hmm. diseases um, he invited me to come and basically implement that method and that program there so that's how it started it is all thanks to that TEDx event. I love it. And Dr. Schwartz mm. is a good friend of New Memphis. He has actually yes. been a podcast guest in the past with us. Mm -hmm. um, so he's doing awesome things. So I love that that brought y'all together and y'all get to now impact even more people. Yes, indeed. I mean, it was very, it was a very good coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You do such cool things. Like just hearing you talk about all the hats you wear. I'm very curious what excites you the most when you wake up every morning to go do whichever job you choose to do that day? Like, what makes you excited to do the work you do every day? Well, first, this world is an amazing place. It's an amazing place. It's full of possibilities. Sometimes we can bog down, get bogged down by things that, you know, in short term make us feel that the world is not in such good shape and such, but it makes it, it, it's very easy to not to look at the big picture, which is that, the, you know, there are still so many amazing things. There's a possibility of doing so many mm -hmm. amazing things that can help so many people. Um, quite honestly, what, well, first, what gets me up in the morning, <laughs> I have two little girls, two <laughs> and five, they literally get me up in the morning. Quite literally, yes. <laughs> yes. So that is the first joy every yeah. single morning. I mean, it, you know, yes. it's true. Throughout the entire pandemic, you see their little faces in the morning. And, you know, all these things are happening. There's, you know, there's pandemic, there's danger, mm -hmm. there are shortages, the, there, there's political tension, conspiracy theories. World start to seem like a scary place. Then you see them too, <laughs> their little places, uh, faces. And then you think, oh, no, it's going to be fine. Look yeah. at all this joy. We're going to be can, okay. We're going to be okay. You cannot have such joy and and not to see it. Your yes. little silver linings. That's yes. right. That's right. So the two of them. Literally uh, get you out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. But then, you know, there's, there's a potential of making lives of so many people mm -hmm. better by using your own experiences and expertise so that even if you have gone through some very harrowing things, difficult things, at least there can be purpose to that in the end. If you can use that experience and that knowledge to help people. I think that's actually a great segue. Um, we're obviously going to play your 2019 TED Talk a little bit later. But um, to kind of gear up for it, what... What was like? What went through your mind when you first found out that you were going to be giving a TED talk? When you found out you were accepted and that it was ready to go, like you you had to execute on the idea. <laughs> execute. Well, let me just tell you a little bit of a background. Yes, of, please. Of even my proposal. So, you know, the talk was prompted. Um, I was prompted to um, submit this mm -hmm. the, this proposal for this talk, but the you know, by the fact that I. I grew up in former Yugoslavia, in Bosnia in 92. Uh, there was a terrible war there. I left as a refugee. Um, many really difficult things happened at that time and in the years to come. And interestingly, you know, when you have gone through things like that and you leave and you want to recapture some sense and semblance of normalcy you don't really talk about those things mm -hmm. you really don't and also you know people don't know what to what to say even if you mention it people don't no, very often know. they're they're shocked um, some feel they have to say something and then things that come out are very sound very trivial yeah and you're really sorry that you mentioned anything <laughs> so then I just chose for many many years just not to talk about it at all. Just don't go there, yeah. And then in 2019, there was a big migrant refugee crisis in Europe due to the instability in the Middle East. And, you know, it was in all the media. It was being politicized. It was being weaponized. Um, those migrants, refugees were being vilified and stereotyped. And, 
you know, all sorts of things. So I thought, oh, my goodness, people really don't Get have perspective. Yeah. And they don't realize how many people that have contributed so much to this world who are household names in so many cases are refugees, directly refugees, or they are children of refugees. So then I decided to put together this talk um, that in which I also, you know, I talk about my own experiences, but I also talk about well-known musicians mm -hmm. um, that are refugees, hoping that that might remind people a little bit of the big picture, right? Uh, you know, in terms of the whole thing. So, so that was the idea. And then I was accepted. <laughs> and then I thought, oh, okay, now I really have to do it. Um, no pressure. Yeah, no pressure. And also, you know, when you, when you decide, yeah, first let's not talk about it at all. And then let's talk about it <laughs> on this very public forum yes. in front of all of these people. And then it's going to be posted online. <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, it had, I felt it had to be done. So it was, it was a great pleasure and a privilege to do the talk. I do have quite a bit of experience in public speaking from before, but this really, but you know, it's not the same when somebody's you have when you're talking about something something that's so emotionally, yeah. um, well, something that's so dramatic to you. Yeah, it's personal. It's something so very personal. So, but in any case. Um, I did it, so I hope it was okay. No, you and did it. I hope that some people got something out of it. It's amazing. Yeah. I love it. You did very well, sir. You should not even hesitate on that point because it was great. And so you speak so much in your talk about the value of arts and music and how the two really work together to give perspective to the human existence. So I'm excited to get into that, and I don't really want to keep the listeners waiting much longer. So... Guys, we are going to roll into Jacques' 2019 TEDx Memphis talk, Why Refugees Are Integral to the Future of Art. I'm wondering if you know what these artists have in common. Frédéric Chopin, Arnold Schoenberg, Bob Marley, Freddie Mercury, Gloria Estefan, MIA. The answer is that they were all refugees, most of whom created their best-known art, best-known music outside of their homelands. Today, I argue that if they did not find safe haven in their adopted countries, we would never have had the benefit of these refugees' groundbreaking art and music. I know this because I am myself a musician and also a refugee. I was born in a middle-class family in the very center of former Yugoslavia, in Bosnia and Herzegovina. My family was no stranger to grief or to art. I am a grandchild of Holocaust survivors, and my grandparents and their siblings were for me a symbol of hope, a symbol of overcoming even the greatest obstacles. There were people who, regardless of the horrors they went through, managed to keep up their spirit, do great things in this life, and be happy. Art and music were extremely valued. They were considered to be something special, something higher, something that lifts our lives above our present circumstance and give perspective to our existence. In 1991, the first political and then armed skirmishes started in my home country, Yugoslavia. Two of the republics, Slovenia and then Croatia, declared independence. Most people I knew, including my own family, could not have imagined the bloody conflict that would follow. I remember my father saying, well, 
you cannot have war in Europe in this day and age. I myself was extremely idealistic. In 1989, the Berlin Wall fell. Scorpions sang that beautiful song, The Wind of Change. And I truly thought that the world had become a better, more enlightened place. In 1991, I was enrolled in an exchange student program to spend six months in the United States. Expecting that the political turmoil would calm down and not being able to imagine that the war could reach Bosnia, the very central, the most ethnically mixed part of the former Yugoslavia, I went. While I was abroad, the war did break out within Bosnia itself. At this time, I was still in constant contact with my family, and as my exchange student program was coming to an end, I was packing my things, I had my return tickets ready, and I was getting ready to go back. After all, regardless of how situation was back home, I had to be with my family. However, finally, the borders closed down, flights to Bosnia were discontinued, and countless military and paramilitary crossings were erected throughout the country, making it impossible to reach my home city, even if I made it to the border. At first, there was the realization that I am physically cut off from my family, my friends. Then the phone lines went down. At this point, the exchange student program, as I said, was coming to an end. And since I have relatives in Canada, I decided that I would apply for a visa and go there. The visa was rejected on the account of there being war in my home country, but the passport was kept. So not having any other option, I decided that I would just go. I still remember the sinking feeling as I was walking over the crossing into Canada with my suitcase and my guitar as the realization started to dawn on me that I am a refugee and what that actually means. As I was growing up many times, I watched television programs about different political and humanitarian crises in the world. And I remember, remember watching those poor people, refugees, journeying on boats, on tractors, worn out by grief and tragedy. And I remember feeling so much pity for them because, among other things, they were not born in such a civilized and stable place as me. What followed were extreme, extremely painful years. At first, there was no contact with my family, my friends, whatsoever. And then a trickle of terrible news started to come in transmitted through satellite phones and news that reached me through friends and acquaintances of my family and relatives living in other parts of the world. At first, I was told that my girlfriend's house was completely leveled by an explosion, most likely with her and her family inside. Then, I was told about deaths of members of my extended family who were killed by rocket-propelled grenades, by snipers walking down the street. Finally, I was told that my mother was killed by shrapnel as she was having a cup of coffee with a friend. On the other hand, there's the nature of being a refugee. We are all defined by our families, but by our environments, things that we take for granted. What happens when all of that is gone? When your family is gone, the country you were born in does not even exist anymore. You're barely able to verbally, verbally communicate. You're stripped down to the bare bone of who you are as a person. Your ego, 
is completely irrelevant, doesn't even exist, and you simply are. Interestingly, it was exactly this became, which became a foundation of my artistic work later on. This awareness of the basic human condition and the universal expression of it, which really, when stripped of the socioeconomic artifice which we are enveloped in, in its revealing frank form resonates with us all. In this situation, how is one to function? How is one to keep on going? There was no time to grieve. There was no time to feel sorry for oneself. There was no time to be paralyzed by pain. I also felt responsibility towards my family. Regardless of what my situation was, I was not myself in a war zone, and I had to be able to honor that. I found my salvation in music. Music has been a lifelong passion since I was seven years old, but now it truly became a solace, a joyful source of light in the midst of the turmoil, and it was helping me, to some degree, make sense out of this turmoil. So I went on to do undergraduate and then graduate studies in music, and then embarked on what ended up being an extremely fulfilling music career. Now, what is that which makes people relate to art, relate to music? It is the fact that it speaks to us on a basic human level. And the more it resonates with who we are on the inside, the more effective it is. Artists that create this art, that create this music, need to be able to see beyond the socioeconomic artifice that the unwrappings that this, the environment clothes us in, and need to be able to reach beyond and reach our humanity that is hiding on the inside. Refugees are uniquely qualified for such a task. Their understanding has been honed and is honed by pain, by loss, by suffering. Their understanding is honed by trials that divide the important from the unimportant. And that is why they're able to, through their art, speak with a knowing directness that resonates with us all. Nowadays, I have the privilege of performing in some of the world's greatest concert halls and recording music which reaches thousands. However, performing for thousands is not very different than performing for only one person. It is still about creating that basic human connection that goes beyond the boundaries of nationality, ethnicity, of religion, class, circumstance. If Bob Marley did not find refuge in the United States during the political violence in his native Jamaica, if Freddie Mercury did not find refuge in the United Kingdom during the troubles in his native Zanzibar, if MIA did not find refuge in the United Kingdom during the troubles in Sri Lanka, if these and many, many other refugees that made a difference and left their mark in this world were not welcomed by their new countries, this world would be much smaller, much less amazing place. Accepting, protecting, and empowering refugees does not only give people the right to live. It enables them to develop their talents, to promote peace, and yes, to create amazing art and music. War and violence divides. But art and music truly, truly connect us all. Thank you very much for listening.
guys, if you are just now tuning in, you are listening to Meanwhile in Memphis on WXR, where you just heard Jacques Osmo's TEDx Memphis talk. So, you're back with us. We're ready to dive into this amazing talk we all just heard. You already touched on kind of why you started the talk the way you did with like listing these famous artists we all know and have listened to and you ask what they all have in common. And I thought that was like such a powerful way to grab the audience's attention. Like you just, what made you choose that? Like, I know you wanted to kind of get them and hook them to prepare for what you're speaking to, but how did you just be like, I want to pose a question. Well, because I can, I assume, and I think rightfully so, that a lot of people don't realize Mm -hmm. that these artists were refugees. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. And then, I mean, that that can be directly juxtaposed Mm -hmm. with the idea of what a refugee is, which was very omnipresent in the media, which is very skewed and, as as I said, very politicized and weaponized. And um, also the emphasis on the fact that even even if we are not talking about um, well-known artists, well-known mm-hmm. figures, a lot of times her, these refugees are people pretty much exactly like you, mm-hmm. uh, from a pla- from places that, if you just took a look at them, are very similar to to the place that you're from. That mm-hmm. you know, absolutely, yeah. So I think I think this really was something that needed highlighting at the time. I agree. It humanized the, like, to to your point, it was something that at the time was a very publicized, like, topic. And I think you humanized, like, the experience in a way with your own personal experience Mm -hmm. and then also relating to people that, again, to your point, people might not have realized were refugees. And I just... I think about that actually all the time in the last, you know, three to five years. I've thought, you know, what about me? What would I do? What what if this were me? Like, what would I hope other people did in that situation? Oh, I'm very glad you reflect on that. I wish more people did. I mean, it, it can stop you in your tracks, yeah. truly, to be like, it obviously, like, what do, we, what do I think about my home? I love my home. Why would I give everything up that I've worked for to leave and go somewhere else? It obviously had to be necessary. And so I'm like, so then what would I want for someone else to help me do? Then I, yeah, yeah. It's just it doesn't take that much empathy, in my humble opinion. It doesn't. (laughs) It's not like a long shot to be like, why should we help people? Yeah, but you you know, also people don't assume that can happen to them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I spoke about it a little bit, a little bit in my in my TED talk. I mean, I grew up watching other refugee crises Mm -hmm. on on the television. And I always felt, you know, on one hand, you felt, oh, you know, really poor people. But on, on the other hand, you feel, I hate to say it, but you feel a bit of a sense of superiority because you, you're in this much more stable and civilized, mm-hmm. at least you think so, yeah. um, country and environment. And somehow this cannot happen to us. And, you know. No, oh my goodness, it can happen anywhere. And how quickly it can change. And it changes very quickly. And one day you see yourself as one thing. And next day you're just a refugee. And everything that defined who you are is no longer there. Well, not everything. What what is inside is Mm -hmm. still inside. But in terms of geographical, physical, social things that Mm -hmm. define who you are, that is suddenly gone. And then you really have to find out who actu- who you actually are. You, not what your environment made you to be, not how you shaped based on the expectations, but who you actually are. Mm-hmm. You know, you dig, dig really deep down. And once you're a refugee, you kind of feel you, you shed all of this, you know, because nobody knows and nobody cares. Nobody knows your family, nobody, none of that. Who are you, you know? And you really have to rebuild yourself from from scratch almost. Wow. You painted, like, to your point, you painted such a vivid picture in your talk when you talked about how, like, you walking into Canada with your suitcase and your guitar. And you can just see it as you're talking. It's one of those things, like, hearing you say it, it yeah. pa- paints, like, an image in your head, like reading a book or watching a movie. And it was your aha moment that, like, 
I'm a refugee. Oh my goodness, walking across that bridge. Yeah. That was also, uh, you know, the border crossing. He, it was, I mean, it's kind of hard to find words. Yeah, I can imagine so. Because yeah. again, all of us, you have your sense of identity, how mm -hmm. you see yourself in your mind's eye. And suddenly, all of that is like with every step, you start shedding that more and more until finally you realize, yeah, I'm a refugee. All of that is, all of that is gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. living in a new reality almost at that point. How do you as a person, I think when you hear stories like this and like this is what I love about your TED Talk is you really, as we said, are like humanized this experience and brought us into what that could feel like as closely as you can. What comes next after you have that realization? Like as you work to get day by day, I know in your talk you referenced the news you were receiving from various sources and what was happening how do you then continue day by day to just get up and keep moving forward? Well, you see, that is the thing. You most of the time literally don't know yeah. what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, it's like there's no sense of certainty. Right. You literally just have to, you keep on going and you hope for the best. You know, yeah. you hope that you're going to manage to get through it. You have an idea of, general idea later on what you would like to do but at first you have it's just moment by moment it's literally moment by yeah. moment it's you know it, it's sort of something that <laughs> we can talk about this later on actually a lot of a lot of skills that i teach in entrepreneurship yeah and that you see being taught by different entrepreneurs how to develop things are actually skills that you learn by being a refugee. That's so interesting. I'm like, right. we don't have to talk about it later. We can talk about it now. <laughs> I'm like, I need to know. No, and that, that's one of the things that I don't understand. You know, people that object to like refugees and yeah. arriving and immigrants. I don't, sometimes I really don't, don't understand that they cannot see this. So think about it. You leave, you are struck by a tragedy, you have to leave um, leave your country. That's mm -hmm. not something that you planned. And there's a huge danger. I mean, these things that you really have to... So you have to have enough courage to do that. You have to, ha you have to show initiative. Uh, you have to have really good sense of planning as much as you can. Yeah. You have to learn to function without any safety net and to believe that that cup is half full. Um, you have to be very persistent. You have to know how to learn things quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, learning is really important, uh, the ability to learn quickly. Even if you are not the type of person that had propensity for it, you just have to do it. <laughs> you have to learn the language. You have to learn about the new culture. You have to start start developing networks um and in the end it's an entrepreneur you you, <laughs> you become yeah. an entrepreneur i mean these are skills literally when you hear different talks about yeah. uh you know 10 most important characteristics of successful entrepreneurs right uh elon musk yeah. you know jeff bezos you give this list and you think to yourself oh my god you know most <laughs> of the refugees have yeah. Had to learn all these things. In, re uh, in real time. In <laughs> real time. And then apply them not in order to create these big companies and wealth. Yeah. No, literally to survive. That's, yeah, it's a whole different And there is nothing that, that is more of an incentive to master all, all these things. <laughs> than survival. Than, than to need to survive. So in any case, that is – so think about it. So you have when, – when you have refugees, when you have – immigrants coming in, you have such huge percentage of these people that have actually had to master these skills. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot can be learned from them. Absolutely. So, that's how I see it. I, I think that's it. at the very least. <laughs> I know. Uh, when you were talking about like just doing the next like moment by moment. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so you have a five and two year old, you said? Yes. So you might be familiar with Frozen. Oh, <laughs> I get 
reacquainted with Frozen multiple times. Daily, <laughs> daily. Well, I have a three-year-old daughter. Okay. And so when you said the moment-by-moment moment thing, it made me think of in Frozen 2 when Anna is singing just do the next right thing. Like, yeah. and it makes me think about like how in life, how in entrepreneurship, how I'm sure in like other experiences, it's just like, you just got to put one foot in front of the other. We just got to, the next thing I can do, I'll do that. And then after that, I'll worry about the next thing. And after that, I'll worry about the thing after that. Oh, absolutely. You also need to have confidence mm-hmm. that that is fine. You know, that is okay. Yeah. That that is okay, that you're going to find your path. You're going to find your way. And, but what you need to do right now is that one foot after the other. Otherwise, in such uncertainty, if you start thinking too far ahead, there's anxiety, panic, panic and you get paralyzed. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. Don't so. make me start singing it. <laughs> it's like, I sing a double on this podcast. I'm not trying to get sued by Disney. <laughs> Sorry. I know, right? Um, but, like, to hear you talk, you speak so often of these transferable skills. Like, you just spoke to the transferable skills of being a refugee and how that is completely interconnected to entrepreneurship. The arts and music also have these transferable skills. You speak a little bit about that, of, like, the refugee experience, how they transfer into these art forms. So I, like, you say, you know, that they give this perspective on existence and help you kind of rise above your current circumstances, like these transferable skills that you learn and then put into your music or your art. How do you kind of utilize that in your day-to-day life? How do you utilize in day-to-day life? Well, it's not so much transferable skills as it is transferable experiences. I like that. Um, because one thing that you do learn being a refugee, again, you shed all these things that you used to think that define you. Titles and trappings and all that. Titles the, yeah. and trappings yeah. and how you see yourself, how you see people around you, the environment. What is left is simply who you are. You know, things that are important to you, things that drive you, things that you empathize with. Um, And especially after you, I mean, I had, on one hand, there was this tragedy of the war. On the other hand, I had the privilege of living in four countries, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in my lifetime. And what you really do realize that when you take these, these superficial things away, we are, we literally are all the same. Yeah. You know, it, it's a basic human condition that, and what you do get through that is the ability to relate to people. Um, I would say much easier than you would be able to than if you didn't go through mm-hmm. those experiences because you can dispense with certain things that are not important mm-hmm. and you can relate based on things that are important. And honestly, what I found is that people react to that very yeah. well because after after all you're talking in their language regardless of what their actual linguistic language is mm-hmm. um you're talking in their human language and we are all talking the same oh, like same that. way that way i like the i am gonna language. write that down yeah. especially like transferable skills is more transferable experience i you're just dropping truth like bombs i know i'm loving all amazing. this like Oh, my goodness. So good. (laughs) No pressure. No pressure to keep doing it. (laughs) You touched on this also in your talk, but can you describe why refugees are uniquely qualified to be great artists and musicians? Oh, directly related to what we were just talking about. I mean, once you realize what this universal human language is, Mm -hmm. you, you, you use it in your art. Um, and you use it in your music, you use it in your visual art. Um, you know, in music, you talk, you talk about things that you know matter to everybody in a way that you have found mm-hmm. that they matter to everybody. Um, in ways that have me sitting on my couch crying, <laughs> albums all the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it is, after all, in order, art, art is one of the greatest form, and music are uh, one of the greatest forms of expression, human expression. Um, and, but in order to create them, you actually have to have something to express and you know, and, and you need to know how to express it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, and if you know how to express it directly so that it's not beating around the bush, <laughs> um, your art becomes that much more effective. So 
I think that's how these transferable experiences can be very beneficial for creation of art and music and so on. In your opinion, why do you think Memphis is a good place or uniquely qualified? Oh, Memphis. Yeah, yeah. to be a, a music city and a refugee city. Well, first, in terms of music, it is the city of music. Right. <laughs> I, I feel mean, like I, I, I set go. you up for that it's one. Like self-explanatory. <laughs> Next question. Yeah, self, absolutely self-explanatory. And I mean, there's so much soul in this in this city and so much connection to music. Yeah. Um, and historically, you know, regarding the civil rights movement, regarding um, people use music. Oh, you know, it's directly related. Actually, one of the, the classes that I teach at Rhodes is music in times of crisis. Uh, and it is I'm like, how, how do I go to this class? No. As a, it, um, how it focuses on how music has been used at the time of uh, great social turmoil and how yeah. has be, how has it been used by people to achieve their goals. Um, and music is always there. Music is always there. Uh, that's why it has been here in Memphis through different struggles, social struggles and otherwise. Uh, music provides safe space for people to express themselves and to people to bond and people to come to agreement. Um, and that is something that I think has benefited Memphis greatly and which can empower it to resonate on national and international level. Um, and the second question, what was the second question? Uh, why is Memphis uniquely qualified to be a refugee city? Oh, because of, because of these same things. Um, you have people, you have a lot of people that know the struggles, understand the struggles, who's, and who overcome those struggles through music. Mm -hmm. They have had the plenty of opportunities to understand and examine this common human condition. And me being a refugee myself, at one point, I would much rather go to a place like that than to a place where I would have to explain to people from scratch as to what those struggles are right. and what they might be. So. Wow. Yeah. That's, that hits you. Yeah. In your heart. Amazing. Yeah. It's just art and music are such an ingrained part of human existence from the dawn of time. And I think it's so cool to have you on and get this perspective from someone who has also lived it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad I'm people might get something out of this. <laughs> well, yeah, no, well, earlier you were talking to us about, you know, your TED Talk and how, you know, you were preparing for that and you just had this story inside of you that was going to be really personal and it was time to share. And I think it's important to realize, like, you have a story that is beyond worth sharing because it is this innate and human experience that is, yes, very personal to you, but it has touched so many others. And that's just like an insanely beautiful thing to me. Well, it is. I mean, it has, at the end, once you go through this, as I said, yeah. you, and you talk about it, you, at the end, you talk about things that, that came as a final realization of that process, mm -hmm. which I hope it resonates with people. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned a little earlier in the episode that you met Dr. Schwartz as a direct result of giving your TED Talk mm -hmm. about like the TED experience. So that is one thing that has come since your TED Talk, but are there other projects or things that have come up because of your TED Talk or after the fact? Quite frankly, in terms of, well, once I started talking about this, <laughs> I continued talking about yeah. it. And, you know, I have also devised a, a method of, you know, I mentioned that th there are different things that you learn being a refugee that can be applied in teaching entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. So I do include some of these things in, in teaching entrepreneurship, but I literally had to articulate them in on an occasion such as a TED Talk mm -hmm. in order to actually start thinking about them that way. Um, I also started creating a method of how 
it's almost it's basically a self-help method mm-hmm. uh, for helping oneself get through difficult situation and still coming out on top. Oh, it's that's also in part result of, of the TED Talk. But I do have to say this developing further this method and a program applies music to cancer treatment and, and treatment of other diseases is becoming quickly, I wouldn't say all-consuming mm-hmm. professionally, but it's it's coming close to that. Yeah. Wow. Because there are so many different aspects to that. Um, and I do have to say the I found Memphis to be an ideal place for that because I've created a network of, of leading arts, educational, uh, religious institutions with good uh, musical offerings, individual mm-hmm. artists who are all taking a part in this initiative. So it's basically turning into a, a Memphis-wide initiative. Yeah. How exciting. Oh, it's super exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I just hope I managed to, and we managed to keep, you know, this the, these partnerships together. Right. And to develop the, the initiative further, I honestly think it can become not only something that could greatly help uh, our patients and the Memphis community as a whole, but something that can have national and international resonance. Mm-hmm. I really do believe so. I believe you definitely have the momentum started, and I'm very excited to see where the work goes. So for those people who are actively <clears throat> listening right now and they are intrigued by everything you're talking about, where can they either help out or just learn more? Uh, well, at this time, they can contact me through my website. Okay. They can contact me through Rhodes website. Awesome. Uh, they can contact me through UTHSC website. <laughs> you're like everywhere. I'm everywhere. <laughs> but no, but you know, in, in yeah. Memphis, those are. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Those are different avenues. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so what is something that you think the average Memphian can do to help um, any of these efforts, whether it's helping with refugees in our city or helping with you know music and healing in our city? Is there anything that you would, off the top of your head, be like, this is something that you as an individual listener can do to help make Memphis even better than it already is. Again, I honestly think that, for example, in, ter- in terms of refugees, there's a wonderful organization called Refugee Empowerment Program. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think being what they are, they deserve every support that they can get. Uh, in terms of program, which I have started building, See how you can help mm-hmm. in, in, in any way that you can help as volunteers, as, of course, we very much welcome financial as support well. as well. <laughs> donations, uh, always welcome. Don- donations. <laughs> but as I said, I, I truly believe that these are two of the initiative, two of the efforts, among others. I mean, mm-hmm. Memphis is an amazing place with so many really good causes to support. Um, uh, but I really think these two are two of the ones that can make a huge difference. Absolutely. In the community. Awesome. <sighs> this was such a great episode. I know. Thank you so much for taking time to be with us here today and kick off the new year on the right foot yes. with an awesome ep- episode. We are so glad to have oh, you. Oh, such a great pleasure. Thank you so very much for your invitation. Yeah. Okay. It was great having you. We'll hopefully see you again soon to get some updates oh, as, absolutely. as you go through the work. So, absolutely. Uh, thank you for being here with us. We'll see you next time. Thank Bye. you. See you soon. Bye-bye. All right, Memphis, that wraps up today's episode of Meanwhile in Memphis. And all I have to say is, wow. Wow. I mean, I had high hopes. Uh-huh. I'm not going to lie for this one. <laughs> yes. And it it delivered. It, it delivered in, yeah. in, all the, in all the best ways. I'm so, so thrilled that he was able to come and join us this new year and share everything that he was able to share. It feels like it mm-hmm. checked so many boxes for me. Like it was like a little bit of arts, a little bit of mm-hmm. like medicine, a little bit of therapy, a little bit of like refugee yeah. and empowerment, a little bit of entrepreneurship, like all the things. I feel like yes, it was I so good. I love anytime. All of our guests are amazing yes. in different ways. 
But anytime our guests really tap into like the personal nature of human experience and how that is the one thing that interconnects all of us, I'm just, I'm sold. Like this was just such a beautiful conversation. I'm so excited that we got to share it with all of you listening today. So good. Um, But you know, this is me while in Memphis. If you tune in regularly on Tuesdays here on WYXR, we are so grateful for you. If you're new to the show, hi, welcome. And I hope that everyone listening is keeping up with us here at New Memphis, the organization we work for that brings you this podcast weekly on social media at the New Memphis. And you can also find us at our website at newmemphis.org. But it was a full packed episode today. So I think we're just going to let you go. All righty. Till next time. Yes. See you next time. Bye. Bye. This week's episode was made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com.